Welcome to the Psalms, a call to words podcast where timeless truths shape today's words. I am your host, David Bunce, and I hope that you will be blessed as we journey through the great songbook of the Bible. Psalm 90 begins Book 4 of the Psalms. These psalms include Psalm 90 through 106. The prevailing theme throughout this book of the Psalms is God's sovereign reign and rule over all things. And this really answers the problems that we had found in Book 3 of the Psalms, which was filled with despair and darkness and the problems that the psalmist was seeing among his people as they were cast out and struck down. And in the previous psalm, we heard how Jesus, in his steadfast love, fulfills those hopes. And so we find that ruling, reigning king prophesied again in this book. But what is really amazing about Psalm 90 is primarily in its author. It is authored by none other than Moses himself. Some commentators believe that it was a different Moses, but the prevailing notion is that it was indeed the historical Moses who led the people of God out of slavery and to the promised land. James Montgomery Boyce believes that the historical setting is best understood by the incidents recorded in Numbers 20. This is when Miriam, Moses' sister, dies. This is when uh, the sin of Moses occurs, when he strikes the rock in the wilderness, and it is uh, where the death of Aaron, Moses' brother, occurs. Charles Spurgeon writes on the phrase, the man of God, because that's in the title, it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. He says, Moses was peculiarly a man of God and God's man, chosen of God, inspired of God, honored of God, and faithful to God in all his house. His well-deserved name is here given to him. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In this psalm, 
we find Moses coming before God, declaring the reality of the trials and troubles that they have seen, and we certainly know that Moses and the people of Israel had seen their fair share of trials in the hands of Pharaoh, in the times of wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, all of the difficulties that they experienced, often brought about by themselves, they had to learn to trust in God, to remember how he is going to encourage and bring them to restoration even in the face of difficulty. In Spurgeon's commentary, he says that the 90th Psalm might be cited as perhaps the most sublime of human compositions, the deepest in feeling, the loftiest in theological conception, the most magnificent in its imagery. True it is in its report of human life, as troubled, transitory, and sinful, true in its conception of the eternal, the sovereign and the judge, and yet the refuge and hope of men, who notwithstanding the most severe trials of their faith, lose not their confidence in him, but who in the firmness of faith pray for, as if they were predicting a near-at-hand season of refreshment. That is certainly true for us as believers in Jesus Christ. We should remember who God is and know that we are going to get to rejoice in His presence. And that rejoicing should even begin now. We should be able to evaluate our days, day by day, knowing who we are and whose we are. One commentator uh, writes, it's Matthew Westerholm, as he writes on Desiring God, this article about evaluating our days. He says that the word satisfy might be the most important word in the verse. At the start, the psalmist asks God to satisfy him, giving us both an example and permission to ask God to make us happy. While our long lists of dissatisfactions often cause sleepless nights, our neediness and dependence unmistakably reveal the truth that we are not meant to achieve satisfaction on our own. In every circumstance, the psalm calls us to turn to the Lord and ask Him to satisfy us. What might a prayer for satisfaction in God look like in different circumstances? If we are disinterested or lethargic, we should ask God to fascinate and animate us. If we are bored or distracted, we should ask God to delight and captivate us. When we are lonely or miserable, we can ask God to accompany and comfort us. We hear that He is our satisfaction. This is what verse 14 declares, that He will satisfy us in the morning with His steadfast love. It's a plea. It's a desire. Would He reinvigorate our lives for glorious joy? So that, the purpose here is so we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts the entire scope of mankind's existence to the reality and purpose of our need to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the chief end, the highest purpose of mankind. And so, Moses observes this, that that is the greatest thing that can be done, is to enjoy, to trust, and to delight in God. And who is this God? Well, He is to be our dwelling place. He is to be the one we go to and trust in and live in and through. We find Him as our place of refuge, our fortress, our God in whom we trust. So, we need to go to Him. But also, there's a sobering aspect of this psalm, isn't there, when He says to teach us to number our days. We find that our life is fleeting. Even a 
the 80 years. Uh, some live longer than that, and those are wonderful extra bonuses if they are lived in health, but we are only promised about 80 years. And so in those years, how should we number our days? How should we examine them? And do we really look forward to being in the presence of God? Are we wanting to be satisfied in Him, or are we trying to find satisfaction in everything else outside of Him? May we be glad in Him, knowing that even though we have seen difficulty, even though we live in days that are evil, just as we have seen evil days through all of history, we need to trust in God and then enjoy the favor of God being with us and continuing to establish us as we work for and in and through Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for being our delight, for being the one who gives us life, who gives us each day. Every breath we have is a gift. May we remember that daily teaching us to number our days, Lord. Would you do that? Help us to remember how how long our life is and yet how it is gone in a seeming instant. Help us to use each moment that we can to honor you, to delight in you, to glorify you, and may you be preeminent in all ways in every aspect of our lives so that you would be glorified, that Jesus would be praised and known, and that we would experience that joy found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to The Psalms, a Called to Words podcast. For more content, just visit calledtowords.com. I hope you will join us again next time for more riches from The Psalms.